0: Welcome to the second episode of podcast 42, the podcast that talks a little bit about life, the universe and everything. Simply put, anything goes. Well, if you've made it to the second episode, thank you for listening. and Please bear with me as this is new steps for me and we're taking them together. So let's kick off things, shall we? So where in the world am I today? Well, I'm still located in my desert lair in a secret location the Omani desert. I've got one more week here so not too long to go and lots of plans for the next month of travelling as I spoke about in the last episode. A bit of a sandstorm here the last couple of days which covered me from head to foot in sand and a fine layer of dust everywhere. Thankfully that has now subsided and we have nice pleasant weather. Another week in the wilderness and then I return back into civilization to be released out for some fun and games. Definitely lots to talk about then. So what do I have around here? Plenty of camels hanging around these parts, the occasional dog or two, and of course the dreaded camel spider. Some of you may have seen on the internet, um, mythical stories of these huge camel spiders the size of cows or the size of dogs, well they are quite big and we've actually had one or two of them scuttling around the office a few months ago, but you rarely see them. It's living in the roof space, somewhere in the office, probably the size of Aragog by now but the spider we witnessed was about the size of a small child's hand. Apparently that is a small one, but uh, I don't think I really want to encounter one. <laughs> Actually that's a good topic to start with, camel spiders. Camel spiders became an internet sensation during the Iraq war, I believe, where rumours of their bloodthirsty nature began to circulate online. Also in these parts there are lots of camels as I say, camel spiders, uh, lots of camels, must be there. We see them roaming the roads and to be honest it is quite dangerous on the roads. Don't travel at night or do so at your peril. There have been many fatalities in Oman where um, unwary travellers speeding in the darkness um, hit a wandering camel and we see them wandering around quite a lot. Um, Sometimes see them in the backs of trucks getting a VIP treatment but there are lots and lots of camels in the desert. Sounds an obvious statement but they're there and it's quite amazing to see. As I said, I grew up in a country where there were no odd creatures, apart from the people who lived there maybe. The most venomous thing we might have had was a bumblebee, I guess. But I no longer live in the UK, and as I said previously, I'm now resident in the Philippines. I'll be heading there next week. Really looking forward to it, to escape the alcohol free, bacon free place that I'm in now and head home to the Philippines. I live in the capital city, Manila and it's a great place, I, I'm very happy there. I've been there for about three years and it's, a, it's definitely a place worth to visit. So let's talk about the Philippines. I've not really talked about it much in the last episode and I did say I would. So the Philippines or Filipinas, the Republic of the Philippines, it's a, was it an archipelago I guess, an archipelagic country. Lots of islands, and yeah, lots of islands. It's in Southeast Asia, consists of about 7,600 plus islands but it's mostly categorised under the three areas of Luzon, Visayas, and Mindanao. Separate islands or areas. I live in Luzon, where Manila is. There is Visayas and Mindanao. I believe Visayas is where Cebu, the island, is. And Mindanao has Davao and places like that. So, as I say, the capital city, Philippines, is Manila. But Metro Manila is a vast area, like many Asian cities. I wasn't aware until I moved there that. For example Tokyo is made up of lots of cities such as Yokohama, Kawasaki, uh, Chibu. Manila is, is the same because Manila is not the biggest city or most populous city in Metro Manila. That's Quezon City and there's other areas. Um, I live in Mandaluyong, which is a city of its own right and there's lots of other cities that make up the whole of Metro Manila. It's a very populated, heavily populated city. It has its um, amazing points. It has its—it's it's a dirty city. It's overpopulated. It's got a poor transport system, but it's home, and it has some amazing things to see there, especially on the islands. Once you get outside of Manila into the provinces, people are more relaxed. Their life is much easier, and it's a great place to visit. So, the Philippines, bounded by the South China Sea on the west, and the Philippine Sea to the east, and I think it's the Celebes Sea on the southwest. And it has maritime borders that are sometimes, I believe, have been in the past contested. Um, I know there's islands that are contested with China, Um, but the maritime borders are with Taiwan in the north. Taiwan is a place I'm hoping to visit this year, maybe in May of this year. It's about a two-hour flight from Manila, and I've heard very good things about that. Japan is in the northeast, about a a three-and-a-half, four-hour flight. Vietnam is in the west and Malaysia and Indonesia further to the south. It's actually amazing because when I lived in Australia, I was in Darwin in Australia, it was only a four hour flight to Manila. So Manila is very central, I could be in Korea in four hours, I can be in Singapore in four hours, I can be in Australia in four hours, Thailand, many of these places. So it's a good springboard to other countries in the Southeast Asia. And you can also fly direct to London in 14 hours, or you could be in New York in 15 hours a direct flight which we have used and and it makes the world a small place you can get pretty much around the globe from Manila. So Philippines as I've mentioned previously national sport carry uh, not karaoke national sport is basketball although karaoke is huge you don't meet many Filipinos who don't love to sing that's a great thing everybody is always singing so better than others. For basketball is a key sport there, Um, everybody plays it in the streets, Um, it's a huge sport to watch. For the less faint hearted, cockfighting is very much a predominant sport, it's advertised on the TV, the world slasher championships. I've not been to this yet, I'm not sure if I'm going to go to it yet but I I might try it out just to experience it and make a mind up for myself although it does seem a bit um, different. But there's nothing worse you're wandering down the street and there's a man with a cock in his hand, quite often on a Thursday too, must be paid it. There's also the legendary Midget Boxing which I've attended a couple of times, Uh, although that's not for everybody I'm sure. So the Philippines, population 100 million, currency peso, main language is Tagalog, which I did speak a bit of in the last episode, although it was only two words and I will use again later on. English is very predominant, or Taglish, a mixture of the two. For any visitors, especially Western visitors, it's one of a really unique place in Southeast Asia where everybody speaks English and they speak English well. The only other places I could think of are maybe Singapore and Kuala Lumpur. But in the Philippines, there's some, I think it's 150 plus languages that are spoken in various dialects, various areas. Even my partner, she says, we go to a different island, she cannot understand what people are saying. Tagalog has about 26 million native speakers. It is considered the national language, but that's mostly in Luzon. We have Cebuano or Bisaya, which is spoken in Central and Eastern Visayas, and that's 21 million speakers. Other lesser languages, Ilocano is 7.7 million, that's in the north of Luzon, in Zambales, and again that's a different climate completely to the rest of the Philippines, you're heading into the north. It's cooler, uh, more lush, more green. And the next couple of languages, I did actually have to cheat and look up because I didn't realise there were so many languages in the Philippines. Hiligaynon, which I apologise to the Filipino listeners, is seven million people speak it in Western Visayas. So we had Cebuano in Central and Eastern Visayas, and now we have a Western Visayas language, and one called Waray-Waray. 3 million speakers in eastern Visayas. So this is the Warai people. And there's other languages, there's Bicol, Central Bicol has its own language, Kampampangan, oh, I did well to pronounce that one, Panganisan, Maranao, and all of these languages have millions of speakers. They're not just one or two people, which is why English, I guess, is predominant in many places as well. So where to visit in the Philippines? Okay, as I said, Manila, it's a dirty city. It has some great restaurants. It's a very up and coming city. There's a lot of young people I find now who are in good jobs, well-educated, and it seems that the economy is doing well. New president is very good, Mr. Duterte. Although he's not loved by everybody, he is hugely loved in the Philippines. And in my view, and in many Filipino's views, He's done a good job of cleaning up the country not always in the way people appreciate but it has worked no doubt about it so manila is a good place to land for a couple of days and visit just to see how busy and hectic and crazy it can be but then there's the islands the provinces i'm visiting boracay one of the islands in two weeks time it's my favorite place because of the white beach it's 45 minutes flight from manila it's easy going, it's the white beach and I've never been really a beach person until I went to the Philippines and I've learned to relax a lot more, go on the beach, float around in the sea but Boracay has a beautiful white beach but the sea is also very good because even if you're not a strong swimmer, it doesn't matter because it's not deep, there's no real strong currents, especially on the white beach side. The opposite coast of Boracay has a very different Weather system almost where it's very windy and good for kite surfing. So the white beach is protected, the other beach is for kite surfing. And I'm saying the other beach because I can't remember its name, and I will find out by the end of the episode. But Boracay has also had its problems. About three years ago, the president visited and described it as a shithole cesspit his exact words and he shut the island down. Raw sewage was being pumped into the sea, hotels were not being licensed properly. Um, environmental controls were not in place and as a result the sea the land was suffering it was being overpopulated with tourists so you shut the island down clean up your act that was the word and it happened it was incredible it took about six months to a year but we visited shortly after the shutdown and it was like going to a new island it was back to how it should be it was clean reduced numbers it's still a work in progress there's still demolishing many buildings and rebuilding the infrastructure, but it's exactly what it needed. And it also sent out a warning to all the other places in the Philippines that were, that were overdoing it with the tourists, and it's, it's much, much, much better. That's why I'm really looking forward to going there. Another island which I visited in January when I was home is Camigin, which I've probably pronounced wrong because every time I say it, somebody then corrects me and they say the same as me, but who knows. Now is a volcanic island, about 1 hour, 10 minutes flight from Manila. We flew there, and it's a very quiet island. We hired a scooter, we drove around the island in 2 hours, and that included stops for a few drinks, non-alcoholic, I might add, and we we drove around the island. It's just one big volcano. I described it as, if you've ever seen the movie Moana, it looks like that. (laughs) It's very green, it's very lush. And it's, it's just a nice place to chill out for a couple of days. We went there a couple of days after I'd finished work for a month, and it was a perfect place just to relax. Not hectic, no dramas, just chill out, have a beer, have some nice food. Not really a party island, just a place to relax. And that's what we did. And from there, we got the ferry to another island called Bohol. And a lesser island called Panglao, which is attached to Bohol by a bridge we've been there before this was our second visit and again the ferry trip across was three hours and I saw something for the first time I've never seen in my life a flying fish something as simple as that and there there were many of them at the front of the ship and I could watch those for for hours and I did and the fish leapt out the water and they would fly for 40 50 meters I I was very impressed I'm easily impressed but I was very impressed so we arrived in Bohol and we had a driver pick us up took us to a nice nice resort, Bohol famous for its chocolate hills, so called because from the air and even from a vantage point they look like a box of chocolates, life is like a box of chocolates, terrible I know. But they also have tarsiers there which is a very small, very very tiny small mammal about the size of your thumb, maybe he's a bit bigger, it was nice to see those, I saw them last time, didn't see them this time. What else did we do? We went on an ATV ride around the hills, toured around, went into some caves, saw some waterfalls, just generally all the things you do in the Philippines outdoors in the islands. Great and it's not really as busy as the um, Boracay, it's a lot quieter. We stayed in Panglao which is a very popular resort but again it's not as overpopulated as Boracay, a couple of bars, a beach front. We were very happy there, we had a room where we could walk into the pool. That was always nice and everywhere we travelled we did it by tricycle if you don't know what I mean by tricycle think of a small motorbike usually about 125cc with homemade sidecar attached that can carry seven passengers and the driver it sounds crazy and it is but I love using tricycles I wouldn't use them in Manila because it's too busy but out on the islands it's the perfect transport to get around and it's very homemade and they all work strangely though in in Bohol what we found and in Panglao especially I could get a tricycle ride in Camigin for 12 pesos which is translates to about what um, 10 20 cents dollars about 15 pence in the UK then the same tricycle ride in Panglao would cost me about three dollars I think the tricycle drivers in Pang Lao have got together and agreed the price for the tourists, but that's ok, it's still not too expensive and they, they do a good job. We had a tricycle driver for the afternoon, it came to about $10 the bill and he took us all around the island, a bit of a guided tour, he took us to some really nice places we would never have went to, he didn't take us to places that were his friend's shop or to try and make us buy something, it was actually a genuine tour and he, and it was great. We also stopped off at um, the Bee Farm, there's a Bee Farm in Bohol, which I really liked. actually it's in Panglao, not Bohol, and we really like that, and they have some local drink. I'm trying to think what it was, it was a honey drink, and I must find out the name. Also in the Philippines, the food is very good. It's a little known fact about many of the Filipino dishes that people don't see them outside of the Philippines, or if you don't know Filipino people. Food, as ever in Southeast Asia, is a big part of life. The fruits in the Philippines are fantastic. I love the mangoes there. The green mango with the bagoong fish paste. I hope I said that right. Perfect with a San Miguel beer. The ripe mangoes, the orange ones, they're really tasty. Fruits such as mangosteen. Chico. Chico was one I tried recently. I thought it was a potato, to be honest, when I was given it. Chico is not a potato. You open it up and it's a similar texture, maybe it's a bit grainier and more sugar-like than a kiwi, very similar in size and the inside is very similar but it was such a sweet tasty fruit and my partner was telling me, she said when they were children it's a good thing for children to eat because it's a sweet alternative, good for energy as well. Another of my favourite fruits is the calamansi limes, delicious, I love lime, I love citrus fruit. The calamansi lime is a tiny lime with packs a lot of citrus flavor and with chilies and with soy sauce squeeze a calamansi lime in oh delicious for putting on food Other fruits I've tried there I think it's the lanzones is very nice there's a lanzones festival that's almost like a lychee I would relate that too But these are fruits as I say growing up in the UK in the 70s and 80s we didn't have such things This was all new to me and I love them, I love tropical fruits, I love citrus fruits. Apart from fruits though, Filipino cuisine is really good. Um, Some of the favourite dishes such as lechon, the whole roasted pig, fantastically cooked, Um, very popular with everybody in the Philippines I've met and I understand why it is really good. Very much a specialty of Cebu, but also available throughout the Philippines. Other favourite dishes such as tapa, which is a cured beef, Adobo, one of my favourites, my absolute favourites, which is chicken or pork, braised in garlic, vinegar, oil, soy sauce, then cooked until dry. But that depends on which region you are eating it, sometimes it has a sauce, sometimes it doesn't. I prefer that little bit in the middle, slightly dry, a little bit of sauce. And there's one called, and I'm sure I'm going to say this wrong, dinugan, Pork blood stew, which again is very good, Calderetta. I tried this uh, goat It was the first time I tried it. Very much uh, stewed meat in tomato sauce, um, very tasty. You have afritada, which is chicken or pork and vegetables simmered in tomato sauce again. Carre carre, it's oxtail and vegetables cooked in peanut sauce, very tasty. Crispy pata, oh yeah, that's like a deep fried pig's trotter, I guess, <laughs> but the meat on it is amazing and it's very good. One of my personal favourites, and my partner will definitely agree with me, is pancit. I can eat pancit by the kilo. It's just noodles really. Um, there's lumpia, which is kind of like spring rolls, but it is spring rolls. What else do we have? I, I mean, really my favourite is adobo. It's a very, very, very satisfying, wholesome comfort food almost. A lot of Filipino food is kind of like a comfort food. The bulalo, which is a soup with bone marrow, vegetables, bone marrow. Again, very good. Something I would eat in the UK. In the winter, <laughs> it's it's kind of that food. Seasig is one of my personal favorites. I think that's made from mostly the pig's face. Yes, the face. Sometimes the ears. And it's perfect with beer. It comes sizzling on a skillet with some chilies. Not very often have spicy food in the Philippines, I might add. But there is some chilies on the side you can put on, and an egg on the top. Mix it all together. It sizzles. You eat it. You drink San Miguel. Perfect with beer. But there are two other foods in the Philippines which are hugely popular and you can get these on every street corner, every city in the Philippines has these and I actually quite like both. I'll start with the world famous, the one and only Jollibee's, Jollibee's chicken. This is the Filipino answer to KFC I guess but it's so much better, it tastes so much better but it's an institute, there must be a Jollibee. Within 200 yards of each other in the Philippines, everywhere I've been, you cannot move for Jolly bees. But its people love fast food, they love fried chicken, but they love the rice, they love the jolly spaghetti, and Jolly bee himself is an icon in the Philippines. It's a large red bee, basically, you will see him everywhere. Now there are available, I believe, jolly bees in London. I know there is one in London, near to Earls Court, I believe. There is one in New York which we almost visited when we were in New York last year but we didn't. I know there are various jollybees in America too and throughout Europe. So it's, it's definitely branching out but hugely popular. They have a jollybees in Oman in Muscat, definitely in Qatar when I was there and also in Dubai. Lots of OFWs and OFW for in case you don't know is an Overseas Foreign Worker which the Filipinos class as their Overseas Worker. And there are many Filipinos who work overseas, quite often supporting their families. And a good tribute to them is to say, well done, because they work so hard for the people back home. One other food, which is definitely not for everybody. And this goes in my strange food category, I guess. Last episode, it was the wrestling octopus. Today, we have the balut. Balut is available on every street corner, You'll hear the street vendor carrying his yolk with buckets on either end or on a tricycle. Balut! Balut! And for many of you, you might have heard of it because it's the fertilised egg. It's usually a duck egg that's been fertilised. It's quite a few days old. If you are a vegan now though, you probably would not want to listen to this part, but I like it. Um, it's hugely popular in the Philippines. So yeah, the balut is a balut, a balut, balut. It's a fertilised developing egg from a duck egg and it contains the embryo of the chick obviously not alive it's been boiled but generally the age ranges between 14 and 21 days i've had some that are just really i'd best describe it as an eggy chicken <laughs> you eat it out of the shell you remove the hard i guess placenta <laughs> is it that's what it is the hard part of inside the egg and you pop it in your mouth eat it as one And that's it. Um, Very tasty. I've had some of the more older ones from the street vendors and I was apparently very lucky because I had a feather stuck in my tooth and I pulled it out and the vendor was oh, very lucky, you got a feather. Apparently that means it's a good one. How to describe Balut to people who don't understand it? Um, Best eaten in the dark, I've heard. Personally it's a street food, I think it's very tasty. One is enough. It's full of cholesterol, more than one or two and you'll regret it I'm sure. Highly nutritious, hence it's sold in the street to people. It's very cheap, very easy to get. Just don't eat the shell, I guess. I've had a few friends try it, and some like it, some just can't do it. Some really can't, can cannot do it. But it's one of those foods. If you go to the Philippines, you really must try. It's again something you should not be put off by the myth or the story. Just just go for it. You know, you know, you want to do it. So yep, when you're presented with a balut, the tips to eating it, you crack off the top, as you would with a normal boiled egg, you pour in a little bit of chilli vinegar, drink out the soup, which is whatever the soup of the inside of the egg is. That's very tasty, it's like a a chickeny, eggy, ducky broth I guess. Then you remove the hard part as I said and just pop the whole thing in. Very good, very tasty. That leads me to our Filipino phrase of the day. Very tasty is masarap or sarap sarap. So when you eat your balut. Say to the vendor, Masarap, or Sarap, Sarap, (laughs) he'll be very impressed I'm sure, I'll probably try and sell you another one. What else about the Philippines? I'll try and keep this short because there's so much to say, and over coming episodes I will definitely talk about the Philippines for sure. I talked about fruits, and one place we go for fruit sometimes is to Tagaytay. Great market there, lots of fruits, but sadly in the Tagaytay region there is a volcano, the Tal Volcano. As you may or may not be aware, in the news, lots of volcanic action there, Philippines does sit on the Pacific Ring of Fire, burn, 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 the ring of fire, that's probably highly inappropriate. Anyway, so the yeah, the Tal Volcano, we came back from Bohol when we landed back in Manila and it erupted. It's one of the smallest volcanoes in the world, but a huge population live around it and I've not heard of many of any deaths if I was honest, which is good news. Put lots of devastation in the area and people really coming together to try and rectify what's happened. The volcano is still active, we had a lot of ash fall in Manila, needed to wear a dust mask when out because it was irritating, but really lucky for us and probably not lucky for others, the wind did change direction after one day and pushed it all out to sea I guess. But still a lot of cleaning up going on and hopefully not another eruption. Talking of eruptions, we visited the Pinatubo area and that volcano erupted in 1991 massive eruption Uh, we visited last year and I was amazed by the devastation even now some, oh 29 years later, oh feeling old 29 years later and it's best described as a mountainous green area say for example a lake district in the UK or a national park in Australia or America if you detonated a nuclear explosion in the middle of it that's what's happened it's it's incredible even these many years afterwards there's half of hills missing there's half of mountains missing we drove for probably about 40 minutes in a jeep which was an experience off-road following up through a river and there was so much ash still and devastation there and people still living in the area but obviously life finds a way as per usual and there's greenery everywhere in between the devastation and it's an amazing place to visit. We got up on top of the crater, we drove for about four, actually probably about an hour we drove for, then we hiked for probably 45 minutes to the top and it was amazing, such a beautiful sight, it's a shame I can't show you pictures on this, but the inside of the crater was amazing. But in hindsight with what's happened with the Tal volcano, we could feel something was moving while we were there at Pinatubo and there was landslides and so we don't want another big one, but it's far enough from Manila for me, but the Philippines does not need that one to go again. caused huge devastation back in the 90s. I've, I've heard people tell me stories in Manila that there was lots of ash falling, and it's a long way away. It's about a two hour drive from Manila to get to Pinatubo, or to get to the Pinatubo region. But, very impressive sight. Even Tal itself, last year we rode a horse to the top of the volcano. Luckily I think most of the horse, well, all of the horses were rescued. That were living there and we met a lot of the people who habited the actual crater itself very nice people very down to earth loved their life there and hopefully they can get back to some sort of normality very soon so that is the philippines for now a quick overview of the country more education doop, 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 doop. and i'll talk definitely about the philippines when i'm there i might even talk to some filipino people and they'll give you the impression of the town, of the city, sorry, the town, it's definitely not a town, It's millions of people. We could visit a few places and maybe I'll record while I'm there. What next? Let's talk about what I'm listening to again. So here I go with my Spotify skills once again, trying not to play the tune over this recording. Let's find out what I've been listening to this week. Hmm, let's look at a random search of what I've been listening to. Ah, oh, one song. This I saw in the news this week that I think it's Joseph Shabalala. I hope I said his name right. He died this week. I believe he would have been seventy nine. For those of you who don't know him, Joseph Shabalala was the leader of Ladysmith Black Mambazo. Now, if that means nothing to you, they are a South African male choral group. They sing in many vocal styles. They were made famous in the 80s or 90s for a Baked Beans advert in the UK, I remember. Heinz Baked Beans, a song called Homeless. And I saw his death and I thought that's quite sad because I got into that music quite a lot at the time and occasionally I do listen to it. I will not try to pronounce some of the names of the songs, but if you have Spotify or any other ways of listening to media, Check out Lady Smith, Black Mamba. it's different. Again, it's something not keeping maybe with some people's usual music collections, but well worth listening to, and some beautiful sounds. Highly recommended. Next on the random list. Ah, oh, here we go. Arctic Monkeys. I do like the Arctic Monkeys a lot. Sadly, a band I've never seen. I think I got lucky on my, on my last podcast because I had actually seen most of the people I was talking about. When the sun goes down. Now. There's a bit of a story about this, as per usual. When I was in the band in Korea, we used to perform When the Sun Goes Down. Maybe I should find some old recordings and put them on the end of the podcast if you listen to the end. I might see if I can do that. Embarrass everybody who was involved. (laughs) But we used to like doing Arctic Monkeys covers. We did a Mardi Bum, When the Sun Goes Down, and You Look Good on the Dance Floor. I used to love singing that. Really, really good track. Sorry, in case you hear the farty noises in the background, that's my chair and not me, thank you. What else? Let's have a quick flick through again. Ah, Shed Seven. Shed Seven are a band I've seen many times, at least three or four. Chasing Rainbows was the song that popped up. Their most recent album was Instant Pleasures 2017, no way, that can't be three years ago now. Anyway, it's a really good album. For a band that have been around since the 90s, um, such great hits like Going For Gold, Stand By lots of others I probably can't remember as per usual, but their album Instant Pleasures for me was one of their finest. Some really good tunes on it, very catchy tunes, songs such as Enemies and Friends, Better Days, is a really good song. There's even a song on it called Victoria and Shed7 did a, not a competition, but just asked all of their fans to say on this particular day, at this particular moment, what were you doing? Take a video and my video appeared on there. Collection. It was like a 17 second clip of me driving through the desert with camels. <laughs> so that was actually what I was doing on that day. And they put lots of clips from around the world of people who were doing whatever they were doing at the time. I thought it was a really good idea. Anyway, Shed 7, well worth looking up. Instant Pleasures, well worth listening to. Very much Britpop, very much indie of the 90s, but the modern album, it, it still stands up very strong. They do have an Instant Pleasures Ale a real ale in the UK that I have tried in the bar as well. I thought it was great. Good good touch. Um, the band are quite big on Facebook, or they like to, like to be on Facebook. I don't know if they're big, but they do live shows sometimes or they'll do a live broadcast of just them chatting. It's, it's very pleasant. I like them. I like them a lot. I think actually a band that I've got better with age. Okay, one more. What do we have? What do we have? Cherry Bomb. Ah, the Runaways. If you don't know who the Runaways are, That's where John Jett of John Jett and the Heartbreakers, that's where she started. And Cherry Bomb, I think she must have been about 16, 17, maybe a little bit older when they sang Cherry Bomb. The Runaways, I could highly recommend the movie called The Runaways. It's basically a biopic, which I'm a big fan of biopics. I do like, especially music biopics that tell the story of an artist or how they started or how they ended in some cases. But The Runaways, well worth a watch as well. So Cherry Bomb The Runaways. One last random flick through my Spotify. And what do I get? <laughs> Lola, The Kinks. Amazing song. I do like The Kinks. The Kinks uh, from the 60s, I guess. Ray Davis and, I was going to say Barry Davis, but I believe he's a football commentator. Ray Davis and the other Davis are in The Kinks. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of Ray Davis's brother. Was it Bob? Dave? We'll just call him Ken. Ken Davis, that'll do. <laughs> it's like Bross in the old days. There was always Matt Luke and Ken, the one people couldn't remember. And if you don't know who Bros are, you're not as old as I am. Okay, that's enough for music for this time. So what else was I talking about on my previous podcast that I'd like to continue talking about? Movies. Yes, we'll talk about movies. Last week was the Oscars. It was good to see a foreign film, a Korean film, actually winning Best Picture, Parasite. I've actually not seen Parasite yet, but it is on my list to watch, and I'm looking forward to it. I do like foreign language films, so there are some good Korean movies. The Last Train to Busan is quite a good one, a zombie movie, but still good. Other movies from the Oscars, which I'm looking forward to seeing, is Jojo Rabbit and Joker. I've still not seen Joker. There is no cinema where I live or where I work, so I try and get as much cinema as I can when I'm home. Movies I have seen that were Oscar nominated, 1917 great movie really really enjoyed this Sam Mendes was the director and I believe it was stories from his grandfather who fought in the great war the first world war and he told him some stories of the horrors or the simple way things were during the war there I'm sure it was very hard to talk about things like that and he put the stories together as he remembered them and it's a really good movie shot in the single shot style so it's a continuous scene and it's seamless it really is seamless obviously it wasn't shot in a single scene but the way it's been edited together is fantastic how i would describe it without spoilers it's a simple story it's they're not over egging the horror of war that you see in many movies these days movies such as like midway midway was okay i did like midway but sometimes they forget about the reality of the war especially the great war which was a huge waste of human life unbelievable but it has a couple of twists in it, without actually being unbelievable, it still stays true to the story it's trying to tell. If you try and say that sentence very quickly that I've just said, it took me about 17 takes, so have a go. (laughs) It still stays true. But they don't over-egg the horror of war is very much there, but the realistic view of the war from the soldier in the trenches, it's obviously not a happy place, it's not a good place to be but very well filmed and deserving. I believe it did win at least one Oscar, probably for the editing, but really good movie. Go see it. The next movie on my list of Oscars movies that I have seen, A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. Now this is Tom Hanks, probably for me in the best kind of thing he does, playing Mr. Rogers. Now Mr. Rogers was a children's TV presenter in the US. I'm guessing 70s because I didn't know who he was. I'd never heard of this man before. A lot of my American friends said, oh, it's fantastic. I grew up with that. He was an inspiration. And I read about a little bit about him before the movie. And I thought, this seems too good to be true. This guy is too nice. He's too much of a good role model for the children, too much uh, way beyond his time for the way he was treating children, the way he was trying to inspire them. So I watched the movie, and it wasn't really as much a biopic as I thought it would be. There's like a, That's like the sub-story. The biopic is the sub-story of the actual story, but it's based on a true true event. And I just loved this movie. Really, really quality, good movie. Tom Hanks at his best. And I asked a few people, was the guy actually really like that, the way he was presented on screen? And the feedback I get is yes. What a legend. Well worth reading about. Again, I won't spoil the movie. look up this guy check it out check out the movie and read about his life i've got a documentary to watch about his life that i'm really looking forward to because it does seem quite inspirational for the time and for the audience and the subject matter he was trying to deal with very good one last movie that i have seen which was oscar nominated ford versus ferrari or le mans 66 as it was called i think in europe I could be wrong because I didn't see it in Europe (laughs) but again a really good biopic it's about it's a true story of Le Mans 66 the 24-hour race and the teams involved in that Um, I I did think it was a bit mean to Ferrari it was Americanized to protect Ford but Ford did overcome against the odds and beat Ferrari to Le Mans 66 oh that's a complete spoiler (laughs) if I've just ruined a good movie for you but you should have known they won that anyway Okay so that's, that's enough about movies. 1917 is a good movie. Definitely see that. Probably one of my highlights so far in the movie world this year. A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. Again another 9 out of 10 for me. Really enjoyed it considering I didn't know anything about the subject matter until early before the movie. And Ford vs Ferrari. Again well filmed. Right up my boulevard to be honest. That kind of movie. And next ones to look forward to, Jojo Rabbit, Parasite and Joker, and hopefully I can review those later. What am I drinking at the moment, well, still in the water and green tea unfortunately, although I did have a raspberry Pepsi Max yesterday which was a bit bizarre, very tasty, but odd, I've never seen it before, at least I think that's what it said in Arabic on the can and it looked like a Pepsi logo, but who knows. (laughs) I'm looking forward to next week actually buying a couple of new bottles of whiskey. Um, I might actually record while I'm in Dubai airport and see what I bought while I'm there. While I'm drinking champagne, you can hear my drunken voice. Part of my trip to Scotland next month, we've confirmed we are going to the Oban Distillery. It's not Oban; it's Oban Distillery, just kind of northwest of Glasgow, south of Fort William, and not too far from the Isle of Mull, just over the sea. And famous for its Little Bear whisky, and I'm hoping to sample some of that and maybe buy a bottle or two. So yep, drinking remains fairly boring at the moment, but that will definitely improve in the next 10 days or so. Another new section. Let's talk about dad jokes. I do love a good dad joke, I love terrible jokes, I love terrible party tricks as well. I have a few party pieces that people have seen and heard many, many times. If you ever meet me, ask me about my dog Joe, incredible. So today's dad joke, two goldfish in a tank, one says to the other, can I drive? Perfect, I love it. Now that is the true epitome of a dad joke. So before I finish off today, just another thought for the day, what have I learned this week? Not a lot really. Just remember, not everybody understands what you're talking about and even if you have to ask them five times, you'll get the truth eventually. <laughs> that summed up my week this week. <laughs> okay, I think that's enough for this week and I'll sign off. I might add something extra. And as per usual, I'd like to end with a quote. So today's quote. As I said, usually from a celebrity, a book, a movie. I don't know. Last week's I thought was quite good. Don't panic. That was from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's on the cover of the book, if you ever read it. So what shall be today's quote? What have we talked about today? Movies? Monkeys? Oh, we didn't talk about monkeys. Before I sign off, one final story. Okay. This is about my hometown, Hartlepool. People of Hartlepool are affectionately known as monkey hangers. I always get asked this story. For people who know about the monkey hanger story, they say, is it true, is it derogatory? It's actually a term of endearment, I feel. it's People have embraced the legend. If you don't know what it is, I'll tell you. Okay, according to folklore, myth, legend, whatever you want, a monkey was hanged in Harlepool. He was guilty of being one thing. So during the Napoleonic Wars, I think that was about 1803, 1810, that kind of time. A French ship was wrecked in the storm off the coast of Hartlepool. Hartlepool at the time was probably the third biggest port in the UK. Big shipbuilding industry, lots of import-export from there. A deep water port as well. So anyway, you know, the ship is wrecked. It's destroyed. Good victory for the UK. In these post-Brexit days. Or was that pre-Brexit, I guess. The only survivor from the ship was a monkey. Now the monkey swims ashore, allegedly dressed in a French army uniform. Obviously, for the amusement of the crew, so the monkey arrives on the beach. The locals say, Oi, you. What you doing, like?" <laughs> That's my best Hartlepool accent. Even though I am from Hartlepool, I, should, I still have one. The monkey answers, Ooh, ah, ah, ee, oh. "My best monkey accent," I might add. Obviously, they don't understand him. What's he speaking? He's a strange, hairy chap, and he speaks funny languages. Therefore, he must be French. He's a French spy. That's it. He's a French spy. They took him to the local constable, who agreed. They took him to the local judge, the magistrate, who also agreed. He was found guilty at a trial, he was duly sentenced to death and was hanged by the neck on the beach until he was an ex-monkey and he had shuffled off the mortal coil. He was no more. And that is the story of the hanging monkey. Now the story doesn't quite end there. Fast forward a couple of hundred years, in fact about 199 years. It's now 2002 in Hartlepool. Now the football team in Hartlepool, Hartlepool United, not the most successful team in the world but it's our team. They have a mascot. The mascot is called Hangus the Monkey, H apostrophe, Angus the Monkey, Angus the Monkey. Obviously it works, It's and he's a man in a monkey suit, it's a monkey. He is the mascot. So what happens? The Mayor of Hartlepool role is up for grabs. It's a newly created role at the time, I don't know if it's an official role yet, yeah, it, it must be an official role at the time, it was a well paid job. So who applies for the job of Mayor of Hartlepool? Hangus the monkey, with the manifesto that he will give every schoolchild a banana for breakfast at school every day. He goes against some local political heavyweights, he's not expected to win. He wins by a very small margin, but he wins incredible. So now, the mascot, or the monkey, is the mayor. This makes press in Canada, the US, all over the world, the monkey is now the mayor. Fantastic. But he did such a good job. This guy had never been a mayor before, he he took off the monkey suit, became a mascot, became a mayor. Not only did he become a mayor in 2002, he was re-elected in 2005, and then re-elected in 2009, both by large majorities. So the first time was a small majority, then he got the large majority. The first elected mayor in Britain to win a third term. I found out that last week, I didn't know that. He stood down when his term ended in May 2013, and after the people had voted to abolish the mayoral system, so it was no more anyway. So he was the most successful and the last mayor of Harlepool. The monkey became the mayor. I love that story. And it's very much the way the north of England is. We, we like our humour like that. It's good. As per usual, I'd like to end with a quote. This quote is attributed to Bertrand Russell, a British philosopher. My son would like him, then. He was born in 1872. Wow, he's very old if he's still around. <laughs> British philosopher, logician, mathematician, historian, writer, essayist, social critic, political activist, and Nobel laureate. Very good. Anyway, let's end this show. We talked about 1917 as a movie, and he summed it up with all wars. War is not about who is right, it's about who is left. I'm so lonely, so lonely, so lonely and sadly alone. There's no one, just me only, sitting on my red throne. I work weary hard and make up great plans, but nobody listens, no one understands. Seems like no one takes me